Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. Well, the ads in newspapers demonstrate that people are looking for soulmates. In fact, the Monterey uh, Coast Weekly carried an ad by a woman that said this, tall, slender, drop-dead, gorgeous, nymphomaniac. I'm just reading the ad. Nymphomaniac seeks soulmate. Candlelight dinners, dancing, travel, and hot romance. You can see me right over there for the, uh, the ad's name later. But honestly, this is my all-time favorite ad that I've ever come across. And I'm not making this up. This is what the ad said. Ugly, dull, incompetent, emotionally unstable woman in mid-40s looking for dramatically opposite man. (laughs) She actually understood what it took to be a soulmate. This is straight out of Genesis 2. Soulmates are never identical people. Because then one of you wouldn't be needed. They are never exactly the same. But opposites attract. And the reason is because we see what is missing in ourselves in the other person. Freud said it this way too. Actually, the Bible goes first. The reason we're attracted to one another is that we're like two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle with jagged edges, and we don't fit all the other hundreds of pieces of the puzzle. And then suddenly we find the piece we fit perfectly with, and they complete us what's missing within us. That's what a dream marriage is made of. Opposites who fit together like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. But we all know reality. So often, what begins with great joy at a wedding ends up either in breaking up or becoming a very dull relationship. We've all seen it. A husband and wife are at dinner in a nice restaurant. And they sit there mostly in silence. Their eyes glazed over. They are not divorced. They're probably not even thinking about divorce. But their relationship is not connected. It's degenerated. Dr. John Gottman is one of the most famous researchers in marriage because he's followed hundreds of marriages over 20 years, discovering why it is that some marriages get closer together over the years and others fall apart. And he says that if one or both people in a marriage stop doing what I'm talking about today, 
If this one thing that I'm talking about today is missing, it doesn't matter what luxury car you drive, what kind of house you live in, it doesn't even matter what your sex is like. If this one thing is missing, that marriage will either become dull or it'll break up. He says he can predict it with a hundred percent certainty. He calls it the gasoline of any relationship, but especially marriage. This is what he says. The gasoline of marriage is behavior that shows I treasure you. Treasure. Behavior. Underline those two words. What he's saying is straight out of 1 Corinthians 13. When you read 1 Corinthians 13... Love in every case is described as a verb. It's not a feeling. The Bible never describes love as a feeling. Indigestion is a feeling. Love is a verb. It's what you do even when you don't feel so loving. That's what it means to be committed to your vows. In spite of you show love. And that's why all these verbs are in the Scriptures as unconditional love. That means behavior in spite of. Choosing to do things that show I treasure you. And so the Scriptures emphasize it again and again. Love is not how you feel. It's a choice to go first and do the right thing because two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs don't make a right. It means to stay faithful to the promises you made even when the other's not behaving so well. At your wedding, you made this promise. I promise to love, cherish, and treasure you and to be your best friend forever. Unless you make me angry. Unless you fill in the blank. No. No qualification. I promise. Love is what you do. In other words, at least if you're in a wedding, I do. That's the vows you take. That means if you cease to do things that show you treasure the other person, you have been unfaithful to your wedding vows. You have been unfaithful. You know, most people think that an affair is the only way to be unfaithful in a marriage. But that's obviously not true. Because you promise to do certain things, to cherish and to treasure. Which means if you cease to do that, for any reason at all, you have been unfaithful in your marriage. And I want to tell you, this is so important. It happens all the time. Babies are born, careers become very demanding. You're building your business and that takes all of your energy. You've got family obligations, especially in a town like Salinas, where people come back from college and they gather together and there's all these extended family systems within Salinas. 
parents and grown children, brothers and sisters. And what so often happens is that family system begins to interfere with your time together one-on-one. You don't have time to just be together and to love one another and treasure one another. And what happens is when you don't have time, you're too busy to do things that treasure the other person. You're too tired. The marriage will drift into mediocrity. Or even worse. Have you ever noticed how seriously kids take their promises? You know, your child comes up to you and makes you promise to take them to the park today. Or makes you promise to buy ice cream for them. They're not just satisfied. Promise me, Dad! You'll take me to the park? What do kids do? They add a legal addendum to it. (laughs) Promise me, Dad, you'll take me to the park. Cross your heart, hope to die. (laughs) Not even that's enough. Kids even add a further addendum to it. Promise you'll take me to the park. Cross your heart, hope to die. Stick a needle in your eye. They are totally serious. Are you going to keep this promise or not? Stick a needle in your eye if you don't. I'm thinking about that. Adding those to the wedding vows I do at weddings. (laughs) You're going to say at my further weddings if I marry you, I promise to love, cherish, and treasure you and to be your best friend forever. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. (laughs) Don't you think that would be good? I think that would be good. Are you going to keep your promise or not? People do these weddings and they don't even hear the promise. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so important. And that's what the vow renewal is about on Saturday. Renewing that, refreshing, remembering the promises I made because that's the promise you'll make on Saturday night. If I do your vow renewal. Last Friday in my research, I came across a news clip about a husband and wife who had been married 65 years. And now uh, they were both in wheelchairs and they're in hospice. And the man, he's blind. And when they were first married 65 years ago, he couldn't afford a wedding ring. He's not in good health, doesn't have long to live. And his one wish is he'd be able to buy a diamond wedding ring to give to her and to have a vow renewal ceremony. I've got a film of it. I'd like you to see it. Friends, we are gathered together in the sight of God. They're the words they heard the first time around more than 65 years ago in this very church in Milford, New Hampshire. This is my solemn vow. This is my solemn vow. After more than six decades together, this couple is renewing their love. But for Everett Potter, or Pops as they call him, there's one thing he was never able to give to his bride, Betty. Come on, we're going to have a wonderful time. Let's go. 
1945, Pops didn't have the cash for a ring. Monday, with the help of Long's Jewelers and his nursing home, he's picking out a sparkler to match his beautiful bride. You can feel the love. I mean, he's obviously desperately and passionately in love with his wife. And like I said, just, it's great to be a part of stuff like this. It's what Pops wanted to do with the time he has left with Betty. Pops is now in hospice. Doctors say he doesn't have much time left. His nurse says his wish was to be able to finally give a diamond to the love of his life. Pop's plan brought them back to this church to say I do all over again and for Betty to hear the words he had written. You kept me alive for the last 65 years. I would be proud to marry you again today and a million more times. This time around, it takes a little extra effort to seal the deal. Both are in wheelchairs. Pops is now legally blind. Betty's memory is beginning to fade. Is that great or not? When I saw that news clip, the question that is obvious is, doesn't she know he loves her? I mean, after 65 years, what do you got to do to show I love you? That's not the point. The point is he wanted to do a vow renewal to say it again. I treasure you. And if I could, I'd marry you a million times. Do you think that's powerful? Do you think that's gasoline in a marriage that would take any marriage to another level? You bet it is. And that's what the vow renewal is for Saturday. I hope you'll do it because what it means is you treasure each other. Now here, I'd like to unpack what that, the kind of behavior that actually means, to treasure another. And the first is, to treasure another person means meeting their needs is of utmost importance to you. It is important as getting your own needs met. That's radical. Because what I see in declining, deteriorating marriages is when they come in for counseling, all they're thinking about, each of them, is my needs. Very self-centered. She's not meeting my needs. He's not meeting my needs. Me, 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 me. That is really so unwise. Because the way you get your needs met, the way you become irresistible to the other person, is first meet their needs. Find out what their love language is. Find out what their deepest needs are. And then go meet them. Because when that happens... It's almost impossible for them not to want to give back to you. The most important thing that I'll say in this entire series about relationships and marriage is this. An affair is not the only way to be unfaithful to our vows. Unfaithfulness is refusing to meet the other person's God-given needs the way he's wired them up. When we ignore those needs, belittle them, or make fun of those needs, we forfeit any chance of becoming a soulmate. There's no chance after that. It will never happen 
Because two people who come together in marriage are like two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And if you don't meet those needs, you're going to come apart. The fact is, marriage often can recover and rebuild after an affair. But no marriage recovers from the refusal to meet each other's God-given needs. No marriage recovers from that. Rocky Balboa is my favorite Bible scholar. I think all the Rocky flicks are very biblical and theological. You know, this supposedly dim-witted boxer actually says a lot of very wise and biblical things. For example, in Rocky 1, do you remember that interchange between Polly and Rocky? Polly asks Rocky why he likes his sister. Polly asks, you like her? Rocky says, sure I like her. Polly asks, what's the attraction? Now a picture of her is on the screen. That's a legitimate question. What's the attraction? I mean, we're not talking about some hot model here. Rocky says, she fills my gaps. Polly, what gaps? Rocky says, I don't know. I've got gaps. She's got gaps. Together we fill each other's gaps. Straight out of Genesis 2. All the animals had been created. Adam meets them all. He names them all. And then the Bible says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, People get a little confused about this word helper, no suitable helper. A lot of, especially men, see this as, well, no suitable assistant was found for him. You know, someone smart enough, our slave, or no servant was found for him, he was alone. That's not what this word means. The scripture reading, the first thing I said it means is equal. The Hebrew means equal. And when Adam looked around at all the animals that God had created, he didn't find any of them equal to him. Because Adam is made in the image of God. He has free will. He has choice. Animals are driven by instincts. Not Adam. He doesn't find anyone out there equal to him. But the other meaning of this word is so crucial. It means equal and completion. Completion. She is his equal. She too is made in the image of God just as he is. And she is created from the same material as he is. She is equal in every way. But she's different. And that's why she can be Adam's soulmate. A zebra can't be Adam's soulmate because a zebra isn't Adam's equal. But when God creates someone his equal, he creates her different from the man, not like him. 
And that's why the biblical text says that when he saw her, he said what? Whoa, man! That's what the Hebrew really means. Whoa, man! Not really, I just made that up. But that's what, (laughs) believe me, that's what Adam said when he saw her. The text is indicating that immediately he saw that she was different. Whoa, man! And so I explained in the scripture reading that the word man in Hebrew is ish. And the word woman, you can see man as the root of it right in the English word. It's the same in the Hebrew. The root of the word for woman is ish. They're equal, but she's different. And it's only because of that difference they could be united as one. Like two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. This is so crucial to understand. The reason a man and a woman find each other irresistible is they find somebody who is different from they are, opposites attract, but she fills the gaps, or he fills fills the gaps in you. When we marry, this is so crucial to understand, and a lot of people don't get this. When you marry... You give exclusive right to that other person to fill your gaps. Do you hear that? You give them exclusive right to fill your gaps. Because in that wedding, you promise to be faithful to each other. What that means is when I marry a person, when I married Susie, I gave her exclusive right to fill all my needs. Fill my gaps. If she doesn't, what do I do? Do I go to somebody else? I got two choices. I either go find my needs fulfilled in another person, or I just shut down. I just get numb and I distance myself from my wife. We have to understand this. When a woman or a man is complaining, reading their marriage manual. They're expressing their needs. And if you don't fulfill those needs, they've given you exclusive right. If you don't fulfill them, where else will they go? A lot of people don't understand this because they think the only way to be unfaithful to their vows is an affair. But when you've been unfaithful to meeting the needs of the gaps of the other person, you've been unfaithful. And when people come into me for marriage counseling, trust me, they never start with a real problem. It's always the superficial problem. Every time, almost every time, when there's a problem in marriage and there's anger going on, the real root of that anger is someone's needs aren't being met. And the only way they can express it is in anger. Their needs aren't being met. Now I know what you're thinking. I hope he's listening. I'm going to get this tape for her. That's what you're thinking. 
The Bible's speaking to you. You've got to draw a circle around yourself. You want your needs met? Then you've got to do a better job of meeting her needs or his needs. And as you do that, you will become irresistible. Promise you. And they will want to give back to you. That's far more positive than complaining. Now, several experts in relationships have developed a very important picture of what it means to treasure each other. I find this so helpful when I discovered this a few years ago. It's called the love bank or your love tank. Same thing. It works this way. Everybody in your life has an account in your love bank. Everyone does. And whether you are conscious of it or not, you're keeping track of their deposits and their deducts. Everything they do to you is either a deposit or a deduct. It's the way they make you feel when they are make you feel special, when they're nice to you, they do something nice, that's a deposit. When they hurt you, they do something that's rude to you, deduct. And the condition of your relationship with people at work, trust me, is directly related to the amount of deposits and deducts they have. And if somebody has a lot of deducts, they're in the red. They're overdrawn. And that person you want to, you avoid. You try to stay away from them. They have so many deducts, you, you don't have a relationship with them. Your best friends are people who just make deposit after deposit. It works the same way in a marriage. The reason we fall in love is the way he or she makes us feel when we're around them. How do they make us feel? Special, treasured, cherished. And what happens is when a person is doing things of the opposite sex when you first are around them. And there's just deposit after deposit. They just make you feel good about yourself. It just keeps building up and there's not a lot of deducts and it just gets higher and higher until you get to the place you say to yourself, gee, I've never met a person who made me feel like this before. What you're saying there is I've never met a person who makes so many deposits in my love bank. And you know what happens? You say to yourself, I don't want to let them get away. I want to spend the rest of my life with them. You're in love. Because this person makes you feel so special. Then you get married. Here's what happens. Things change. Man and woman stop making deposits like they were before they're married. When all they had were eyes for each other and paying attention and talking and going to dinners and stuff, deducts start. You lose your temper because you're tired, you're overworked, you start losing your temper. You begin to nag and criticize because marriage is a covered dish. You get married, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. You begin to ignore each other's needs because you're so busy. you got so many things to do. Picture your marriage as a gasoline tank. 
On the screens, there's a picture of a gauge. How close your relationship is and how satisfying it is depends what the gauge reads. There's no way you can build a soulmate relationship with the gauge on half full or worse. No way. Can't be done. I dare you to put that gauge on your bathroom mirror. And not for you, but in front of her sink or in front of yours. And let her tell you where the arrow is. I dare you. I've done that with Susie, and I'm not going to tell you where the arrow is. (laughs) You know, we have trouble communicating. Because, you know, we get negative. We don't know anything else but arguing. This is such a powerful way to communicate. You walk into the bathroom and you see it on empty or just half full. Maybe it's just half full. I mean, you're not a complete washout. It's half full. You need to go up to your husband or your wife and say, what would it take for me to top it off? Honestly. What would it make take for me to move the arrow over to full? Kind of a scary question, isn't it? She is going to tell you her love language, or he is. At that moment, they're going to read their marriage manual to you. Now she might say, buy me a dress at Macy's. She might say, help me in the kitchen around the house. He might say, I'd like you to go to the sports game with me, companionship. I don't know what they'll say, but you've got to move that gauge over to full. Because that's what it means to treasure. You want a dream marriage? Move the gauge over to full. Whatever it takes. That's what it means to say, I treasure you. And I hope you'll do that. A man said to me, I'm so frustrated because this is actual quote, my wife says all I think about is sex. I've heard that so often. She thinks my sex drive is silly. But then why did God make me with this drive and then give me a wife who thinks it's silly? Good question. What would you say to him? He's got testosterone. God's given him this. What do you say to a guy like that? She's making a huge mistake. Because her sex drive isn't the same as his. Because her need is not the same as his. She's dismissing it. She's really saying to him, why aren't you normal like me? That is an enormous mistake. Because the way you become irresistible and build union is meet the God-given needs of the other person without ridicule and without making fun of them. Because that's terribly hurtful to the other person. Now, 
the truth is that sex is not a guy's biggest need. That may surprise a lot of people here, but again and again, it's proven that's not a man's biggest need. Do you know what the man's biggest need is? Admiration. Admiration. You can have a great sex life, but if admiration is not being given to the man, it's not going to last. That's his greatest need. Do you know why? Because a man is a warrior. He's competitive. Women are cooperative generally. Men, they're competing. You're going on a trip, a drive to L.A. What's a man do? He's trying to beat his last record. Five hours and 59 minutes. There he is like this. Woman wants to stop along the way, have coffee, talk a little bit. No, can't do that. Four hours and 59 minutes. This is a man. He is built to compete. His biggest need is admiration. And if a woman is not building up her man, finding something to admire in him, she's, not, she's unfaithful to her wedding vows. Now I know what women are saying. Well, when he does something good, then I'm going to admire him. <laughs> That's focus. He's not a complete failure. There are things to admire. You've got to go to positive. That's why you need this wristband. You know, I've been giving you tools. And people who are not wearing this wristband and learning to say positive things instead of complaining things, I feel very sorry about that. Learn to be positive. Learn to find things that are admirable in your man. When you criticize a man and you complain, what the man hears is, you don't admire me. And that's hugely hurtful to him. That's what he hears. You're just trying to improve him. But he hears, you don't admire me. Now what a lot of women think is, well, that marriage is a 50-50 idea. It's a 50-50 relationship. That always fails. That's straight, an idea straight out of hell. Not from Genesis 2. That's not Christian thinking, 50-50. Christian thinking is the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto me. You. Go first. Regardless, two wrongs don't make a right. So admire him. Let me summarize what go first means. I put it on the screen. Go first because love creates love. Because loving actions plant seeds in the other. It's love that creates love, not complaining, arguing. Because you reap what you sow. Meet his needs, admire him. You're going to reap what you sow. Good things. Treat him the way he deserves and he will treat you the way you deserve. I promise that. Treat him the way he deserves, he's going to treat you the way you deserve. And you don't ever want that. Because you need grace just as much as he does. You see what's wrong with this 50-50 idea? He's going to treat you the same way. You don't want that. 
Somebody's got to go first. Now let's talk about why women leave their husbands. It's not why you think. The data is amazing. It shows that women are tenaciously loyal to a marriage. They will stay in a marriage when they have every reason to abandon it. In fact, the data shows they will stay in a marriage that is physically abusive. They can be beaten up by a guy. They will stay in that marriage often. They can be verbally abused. There can even be a fair. He can cheat on her. And a woman often will stay in that marriage. The surprise is the number one reason women leave is because of neglect. The courts call it mental abuse, but it's really emotional neglect. Now, the odd thing I find is I have no trouble convincing you men that if you hit a woman, you're verbally abusive, she might leave you. But I have a real hard sell convincing men that if you neglect her God-given needs, that's when she'll leave you. Do you know why? Because men look at the needs of a woman and make fun of them. They make fun of them because they're not our needs. We're, God's created us so different, so we make fun of anybody who's different from us. But you know, that's why you fell in love with her in the first place. Because you saw she completed the gaps in your own life. What happens is that men, I find, complain like this. Oh, she's so emotional. <laughs> What's he doing? Why don't you normal like me, you know, steadfast, stable, talk this through. Don't get so excited. Why do you think she's so fun and passionate? If, if she wasn't in your life, if she was like you, that would be so dull. This is why you're more like Larry the Cable Man than James Bond. Don't call her emotional. That's what fits you. You need it. What women will say is, he ignores me except when he wants sex. He rarely calls home when I'm... See how I'm doing? He never apologizes even when he hurts me. He just tells me I'm too sensitive. Putting her needs down, putting her needs down, rather than listening to our marriage manual and starting to meet those needs. If you put one of those love tank gauges on your bathroom mirror, where would your wife set the gauge? Would it be full, half full, or near empty? To treasure each other means to dare to go up to her and say, Honey, what would it take for me to move that gauge over to full? I dare you to put that gauge on your mirror and find out. Secondly, to become soulmates means to leave your father and mother. Leave them. That's what Genesis 2 verse 24 says. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife 
and they shall become one flesh. Do you see what that verse says? If you won't leave your father and mother, you'll never become one. You can't. Notice that this oneness only comes by not just physically leaving. It means leaving behind expectations that your marriage will be like your parents' marriage, that your spouse will be like your mama or daddy. This is one of the worst mistakes we make. We saw our dad, how he lived, or our mother, and we want our mate to be just like mama. And it doesn't work. It makes them angry. For example, say your mother cooked every day wonderful gourmet dinners like my mother did. And say the, mo- the wife you married doesn't cook. Ryan? My wife put you up to that, didn't you? What I was going to say is this. If your wife is beautiful, it doesn't matter if she doesn't cook. Ah, there we go. You see how it works? That's exactly how it works. Women who expect their husbands to do things like their daddy did, I promise you, if you bring your daddy into the marriage, there's not room for three. Because your man doesn't want to be your daddy. He wants to be him. And he's got to do it the way he does it. He's not going to be your daddy. And it's the same way, men. Your wife's not going to be your mama. You can't be one with your mama. So stop expecting her to be like that and be united to the woman you married. Put those expectations out. And lastly, praying together is the key to becoming sensitive to each other. Praying. I'm just amazed at Christians who are married together and don't pray together. Why? Why? It's one of the most important ways you can come into union. The great sociologist Andrew Greenlee found that the happiest couples are those who pray together. And study after study has shown the frequency of prayer is more important than the frequency of sex long term. It is a predictor of happiness. And why is that? Because when you pray together on your knees next to the sofa, you open your soul up to God. And you hear your husband or wife prayer. You're hearing, pray. You're hearing their soul speak. And that's how you become soulmates. Now you know what's on their soul and heart. And you can begin to do things To help them with whatever that is. You want to be close? Start to pray together. Just a couple of times a week. I want to close with a quote from one of the most important books I've ever read. Called Please Understand Me. When I read this a few years ago, it changed my life. Maybe it will help you. Here's what it said. If I do not want to be what you want... 
Please try not to tell me that my want is wrong. Or if I believe other than you, before you correct my view, please understand me. If my emotion is less than yours, or more than yours, try not to ask me to be like you. I ask you to understand me, and not to change me into a copy of you. If you will allow me my own needs and emotions, then someday I might not seem so wrong to you. To understand me would mean that you no longer are irritated or disappointed with me being me. And in understanding me, you might come to prize my differences from you. And far from seeking to change me, might treasure my differences and even nurture those differences. When I read that, I knew I had some apologizing to do. Maybe you do too. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your eyes or your head and close your eyes? People don't want you to look at them if they're praying. Who has the Holy Spirit brought to mind? Somebody at work, somebody in your family, the person you married? Really, what's the gauge in your marriage reading? Is it reading full, do you think? Do you think hers is or his? You know, I'll bet you know what it takes to, to top it off. But you've been too stubborn, just unwilling to do it, too proud. Would you just confess that to Jesus? And ask Him to make you humble enough to start to meet needs. Lord, I pray that all over this auditorium you would help us choose to willingly and enthusiastically complete the other person. Make them complete by filling their gaps, whatever they are. I pray that you'd bless marriages because we are willing to do unto others as we would want them to do unto us. Amen. That was such a relevant message from Dr. Mike. You can order a DVD copy from the website of Compass Church of Monterey County. If these messages are helping you, why not share them with friends and family? It's a great way to be a blessing to others. May God's blessing and favor be upon your life.